Good morning, Tapestry, and welcome back to another uh, uh, episode, we'll call it, of our uh, year of Sunday school with Tapestry. And, and if you haven't um, been with us yet this, this year, maybe you're just tuning in this week for the first time, um, just to get, get you up to speed on what we're doing here, we are going old school with the way we're telling some stories. And uh, so what we've done is we've made ourselves, Brad made this really great flannel board and uh, we got ourselves a whole bunch of flannel graph characters. And what we're doing is we are telling stories, um, old school, Sunday school style, um, because so many people maybe have forgotten these stories or have never even heard these stories. Um, and so we're telling these stories flannel graph style, and then we're really diving into them and uh, picking the stories apart and finding some of their meanings. Um, and hopefully it gives us uh, a way to see some fresh things and perhaps some old stories. Um, so here we go this week. We are um, kicking off and, and all of these stories are going to involve, um, this shouldn't be a surprise, all these stories are going to be involved Jesus, right? And so for our first story, we've got multiple stories today. This is a multi-story Sunday. Um, Jesus is heading out and he's in Jerusalem and, he's a, and the reason he's in Jerusalem is because it's the Passover feast and there's a bunch of people in Jerusalem. So he decides he's going to go out and he heads up to the temple. Right, And so we'd learned last week, if you were with us last week, that the temples where sacrifices take place. Um, and so people would have to bring animals to be sacrificed in the temple. Well, not everybody had animals. Not everybody was a farmer. Not everybody had a sheep guy they could go to to get some sheep. And so um, to, to be able to allow people to have things to sacrifice... There were some people who uh, at the temple, they set themselves up a little business, right? Here's business guy, kind of shady looking, a little sketchy looking there because he is, right? And he has him a table there in the temple and uh, we'll throw out some, well, I'll throw out some uh, baskets of money, coins he's got sitting there because he's running his little business. And uh, Jesus comes up and and he wants to observe what's going on. And it's kind of busy because it's Passover. And so there's, there's some people there. There's probably a group of guys over here you know, watching, seeing what's going on. Maybe they're waiting in line to, to buy something. And, and here's what they were after. They were after things to sacrifice. So people who showed up at the temple and didn't have animals to be able to sacrifice, they could buy animals from this guy. Right, and so if you were really wealthy and you wanted to show off, you'd you'd buy some you'd buy some uh, cattle, you'd buy a cow, a big sacrifice, right? I don't know if there's any correlation between the size of the animal and the amounts of sins it would cover in the in the sacrifice, but there was that. If you didn't have quite that much money, there were also some sheep that they had in there for sale, right? And so if you were kind of middle class, maybe you'd buy some of the sheep and. And uh, if you didn't have that much money at all, they even had birds for sale. They had doves that they would have there for sale, right? And so Jesus heads over this area and he realizes something's not right. As all these people are going on and, and Jesus sitting there watching and I'm sure there was probably some more crowd gathering around because anywhere Jesus went, more crowd gathered. So some, some more people showed up and they're kind of taking a look at what's going on. And, and Jesus looks and and he realizes what's happening. And if you've ever been to a live sporting event, 
been to a major league baseball game, football game, um, you realize what's going on too. Because just the same way in those stadiums, they charge a whole lot of money for things that shouldn't cost as much as they do. Same thing was going on in the temple. They had figured out like, oh, people need these things. We've got a way to make some money. And so they were charging way too much for some of this stuff. And when they were making money exchanges, they weren't being honest with the way that they were doing it. And so Jesus gets angry because the temple is supposed to be worship to God. And he sees these people making a profit of it. So he gets mad. And when Jesus got mad, he didn't just get like regular mad. Like he went off the edge mad, right? So Jesus comes over and I don't know if he was yelling or what, like, how dare you turn my father's house into, you know, this, whatever. And he comes and he just flips the tables, right? Gets the guy out of there. And not only, he didn't stop there. Here's what Jesus did next. Jesus grabs him a whip, right? He's like, I don't know. He puts, he gets a whip, He's like, uh-uh, I ain't having this. So he starts whipping, whoo, animals running away, running free, cows charging out of the temple. Could you imagine? And everybody's just like, huh, what, right? Jesus is like, uh-uh, this is not what we've got going on in the temple where we are supposed to be worshiping my father. So that's one of our stories that we're gonna look at today. There's another one that we're gonna look at, right? And this is at a different time. These aren't all at the same time. Again, Jesus, Jesus goes up to the temple, right? So he heads into the temple. And of course, there's always people around at the temple. And there's always people around where Jesus is. When he gets in there, he notices that there's, there's a guy that's kneeling down on the ground. And, and he's a guy that, that a lot of people had recognized. And the reason they recognized is because he was always around and he had a shriveled up hand. It didn't work right. And of course, people assumed that his hand was like that because he had sin or his parents had sin or whatever. But Jesus, Jesus saw him. And always where Jesus was, always, 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 and especially at the temple, there was always a couple people watching. You might remember this guy from last week, the evil Pharisee that brought in the, uh, the woman who had been caught in adultery. And here's maybe one of the other Pharisees. He's got, a, he's got a scroll. Maybe he was getting ready to go teach. And they see Jesus looking and Jesus addresses this guy and says, what's going on? He's like, my hand is shriveled. And Jesus tells him, stand up. I don't have a stand up version of the guy, but Jesus says, stand up. And these guys are watching because they're, they know that with it being the Sabbath, that if Jesus heals that guy, that they've caught him working on the Sabbath, but they hadn't said anything. They're just standing watching. They're paying attention. The guy stands up and Jesus, before he goes to heal the guy, he looks at the Pharisees because he knew what they were thinking. And he looks at them and he says, he says, which is better to do good or to do bad on the Sabbath? Which is better to save a life or to kill on the Sabbath? And they just looked at him because they knew, oh, we were going to try and trick him, but he's got us. Because either way we answer, we're wrong. And so they just stayed quiet. And Jesus got really upset at their lack of response. And he got really mad at them for trying to trick him. And so he turns back to the guy and he says, you are healed. And the guy looks down and his hand is no longer withered. Then, then there was another time. 
These guys are out here. There's another time. Oh, these guys can stay. Always a crowd. Jesus is teaching to the crowd, right? And uh, I think, I don't know, maybe this time, maybe this time Jesus was somewhere and he was, he was relaxing. He was having a seat. He was teaching and people were all gathered around listening to him teach. And while he was teaching, some kids come up. And they wanted to start talking to him. Right? Well, one of the disciples says, oh, no, 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 no. We can't have this. Right? The disciple comes over and he goes, hey, kids, what are you doing here? Don't bother Jesus. You, got, you can't be here. And so he comes over and he runs them off. And Jesus, he gets upset about it. He says, what are you doing? Don't you know that, that no one can enter the kingdom unless they become like a child? Why are you running these children off? And so Jesus says, get them back here. And so the disciple goes, oh, I'm sorry. Come on back, kids. So they come back. And Jesus didn't just let the kids come by so that they could listen close. No, he invited, he invited one to come and sit on his lap as he taught. Right? And so on a regular basis, on a regular basis, I, I let you know when what I'm talking about in a sermon is um, <clears throat> really just me preaching to myself. And, and this week is one of those weeks where I'm really speaking to my own issues. And I, you know, and I figure man, if I'm struggling with something, other people might be struggling with it too. And so, so right off the top, I want to let you know that, that I'm talking to myself today. And if any of you relate, that's just an extra bonus for you. Um, but today we're talking about anger. I don't know if you were able to pick it up is a theme in all three of those stories, but we're talking about anger. And the strange thing about anger is that we all know what it is to get angry, like in a situation, like at something, right? Most of you would stop attending or claiming any affiliation with tapestry um, if you were ever with me while I was driving. Um, but, to, but to be fair, that's not really my fault because all the other drivers are idiots and they don't do it right. <laughs> Um, my, my sons are probably uh, sick to death of me telling them what other drivers are doing wrong and that they should never do when it's their turn to drive, right? Um, <clears throat> but I'll get mad and I'll yell things and say things and, you know, do things. And, and Kate will look over at me and be like, nice response, pastor. And she'll say that pastor real hard, right? And that never helps the situation, but she enjoys um, doing that. Um, I also tend to get mad at inanimate objects. Um, when they're not doing what I think that they should be doing, when they're not working properly, um, I, I, get, I get really angry at those things. It's become quite the point of entertainment for my boys as they gather around and just laugh at me over my shoulders. I'm trying to make technology work. Um, again, not a helpful response from my family, um, but that, that, that's, what, that's, that's what happens. Um, I get angry when I lose. Um, luckily, that one's getting better uh, with age. Um, but there was a time uh, when I was younger, there was a time that I would carry around a couple golf clubs in my bag uh, that I'd buy at yard sale for like a dollar um, so that when I was out golfing, when I hit a bad shot or something didn't go my way, I could grab one of those and just break it and let my anger out. Um, 
I'm proud to have matured a little beyond uh, that, that point. But, but all of those things are like anger in the moment. That's something that is going on. Um, but most of us, we know what it's like or what it is to, to, to carry anger around with us. Right? And the problem is this, is that we, you know, we can all laugh at, at you know, me getting mad behind the steering wheel or mad at technology or whatever. We, we can do that. But, but when somebody is carrying anger with them, not just mad at something in the moment, but carrying anger, um, it hurts not just them, but all of the people around them. Right? All, all of the people around them. And, and if you don't know what it's like um, to carry anger yourself, you probably know somebody who is carrying anger, right? You see them and, and you're just like, you know, they're always mad. The, the slightest little thing will set them off. Uh, everybody's always walking on eggshells around them. Um, you might even be like, I know that it's not my fault, but they blame me if I'm the closest. Whoever's the closest, that's who gets the blame. Um, and the people around an angry person take the brunt of that anger, whether they deserve it or not. And I know from experience, like I said, I'm preaching to myself today. There are times that my family members, my kids, they get anger from me that they didn't deserve. That, that wasn't anything that they did. And many of us, we have, we have different arenas in which anger arises. Right? We may be fine in one environment, but when we get into a completely different environment, we're totally different. You may be fine at home, but when you're at work, you're just angry at work all the time. Maybe it's opposite. Maybe at work you're fine, but then you get home and you're tired and, you know, family stress and whatnot, and you just get angry at home. Right? You're on edge. Everything makes you angry. But, but the bottom line is this, is that, is that you don't have to carry that anger. You, you, you don't have to carry it. But it isn't a quick fix. It's going to take some work. And it's going to take some time. And it's difficult to do. And so as a result, most of us just elect to carry the anger with us. Right? And we carry it throughout our life from relationship to relationship, from environment to environment. Paul, when he's writing um, his letter to the church in Ephesus, he, he, gives, he gives a command. In, in chapter 4, verse 26, he says this, be angry, right? There it is. That can be your life verse. Be angry. Just tell people you're being biblical when you're mad all the time, right? The Bible told me, be angry. But he continues that sentence with, and do not sin. <laughs> to which I look at that, I'm like, oh, that's all. I had no idea it was that easy, Paul. Thanks for just telling me, like, yeah, I got it from here. <laughs> if only, right? If only it was that easy. But it's going to take a little more work than just that, right? So for today's focus on, on this discussion, I, I want to look at these stories of Jesus and his time on earth, right? Um, and see what he modeled, when it came to this issue of angry, anger. And the reason that I want to look at Jesus with this is because Jesus was here to do two things. Be a sacrifice for our sins, which we know that's the big thing. We celebrate it every Easter. Um, but the second thing was to show us or to reveal to us the nature of God. 
right? And so generally when looking at any issue, Jesus is my first stop. And, and if you read through the gospels, you will find that anger was an emotion that Jesus dealt with fairly regularly, right? Which is extremely encouraging to me as a person who deals with anger. So I, I, I want to take just a few minutes and look at the, the, the biblical account of these stories that I told. And while we're doing this, see if you can pick up on the common thread that runs throughout each of these events. So the first one that we talked about, you find in John chapter two, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So this was during the biggest festival there was. Um, for comparison, imagine um, a non-COVID Saturday, St. Patrick's Day parade downtown, like packed with people. That, that, that's what that's what, it would, that's what it would be. And the temple was overflowing with people offering their sacrifice. And, and as, as we said, as is true, anytime there's large groups, somebody figured out how to profit off of it. So Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And just imagine the chaos in that moment, right? The excitement, you know, the disciples were probably looking around um, for the nearest exit. Maybe even perhaps a couple of them were trying to get behind him and grab a hold of him and pull him back to get him to stop before he got arrested. But Jesus was hot. He was mad, right? And then there, then there was the next occurrence that we looked at. That, this one's found in Mark chapter three. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them, the, the shady looking religious leaders, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. So the religious leaders were well aware of this guy that was there all the time with a hand. And they saw this as an opportunity to catch Jesus in the act of something illegal so that they could discredit him in the eyes of the people. And of course, Jesus knew exactly what was going on. Verse three, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, the, the religious leaders, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? So Jesus preempts them and poses this question that puts them in a difficult spot, but they remained silent. They were cowards. They knew whatever they answered would be wrong. So they just said nothing. And look at Jesus' response to them. He looked around at them in, and here's our word, anger. And deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus has another run in with the religious leaders in Matthew and he just reached a boiling point, right? He was so angry that he let the Pharisees know exactly what he 
thought. And, I, and I'm going to read, I'm just going to read a big chunk of Jesus's words without any commentary, right? And we're not even going to put this, um, we're not even going to put this up on the screen because that would be cruel to Jeremiah to make him type in this much into the video. But here we go. Listen to how Jesus just has it. Matthew 23, beginning in verse 13. And this goes all the way through verse 35. Jesus's rant. Here it is. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Do you see a theme here? You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Everybody with me. You hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way on the outside, you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Everybody now, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth. Whew. Jesus was mad. And he unloaded everything he was thinking. Right? then the last story that I told on the flannel graph, here's this one. This one's in Mark chapter 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. Now there's a reason that the disciples did this. He wasn't just a mean disciple that wanted to run the kids off, right? He wasn't just some jerk that hated kids. 
This happened because in that culture, um, children had no standing, right? And it would have been seen as below Jesus's stature for him to be bothered by children. They thought they were protecting Jesus. But when Jesus saw this, he was, and here's word for the day. Well, a synonym of our word for the day. He was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on them and blessed them. And there are other stories that I can tell you about Jesus being mad, but I, I, I think I've made, I think I've made my point. Jesus got angry on a fairly regular basis. Yet we see this about Jesus. The, the writer of Hebrews says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet. He did not sin. So Jesus got angry, yet did not sin. Exactly what Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus that they should do. So what was different about Jesus's anger? How is he able to do it? Let's, let's take a look at the difference between the things that seem to make us angry and the things that make Jesus angry. Here's some things that make us angry, right? Somebody not doing what we think they should be doing, right? Somebody not carrying their weight. Um, somebody disrespecting you. That'll make you angry. Somebody doing something to you. Um, something not happening or going the way that you want it to go. Something isn't operating the way that it's supposed to operate. Um, drivers around you are idiots. You, you think you got the short end of the stick and nothing is fair that goes on around you. Those are things that make us angry, right? Now let's look at a few things that made Jesus angry. People being taken advantage of. The act of worship to God being perverted and turned into a profit-making center. Religious leaders using people as props. Um, religious leaders being hypocrites and using religion as personal leverage. Those with no standing in society being marginalized and rejected. Those are the things that made Jesus mad. Now, there are two very distinct threads that run through those two lists that we just looked at. The thread that connects the things that make us mad and make us angry, the common thread through all of it is us. It all has to do with us. The, the things that connects Jesus' anger is others. Right? That is, our anger comes from our self-interests. Jesus' anger came from the interests of others. Right? And we call both of those things anger, but make no mistake, they are as different as night and day. So, so here's what it comes down to when it comes to this issue of anger. 
We started by looking at Paul telling us in Ephesians, be angry. That's a command, right? That is something you should do. Be angry and yet do not sin. How do you do that? The answer is by being angry at the right things. Being angry at the right things. Whenever you find yourself getting anger, ask yourself this question. Is this about me? Is this about me? Is my anger and the feelings that I'm having right now, is this based on my interest and what I want? If the answer is yes, listen, you are in danger of going down a destructive path. If the answer is no, and your anger is on the behalf of other people, then by all means, I encourage you, be angry. Be angry about poverty. Be angry about violence against innocent people. Be angry about people who marginalize others. Be angry about the abuse uh, of people who have no standing in society. Be angry about injustice. Be angry about people making decisions that destroy their relationships and the lives of others, right? Be angry about those who take advantage of people who are in weak positions. Be angry about people who attack those without the ability to defend themselves, about systems that do not allow people to advance out of their current place in life. Be angry about those who use the name of God as a tool for leverage for their own gain. Be angry. Just be angry about the right things. See, here's where it's so difficult for us and where so many of us get off track is that we are American Christians. And there has never been a more self-centered version of Christianity in all of history as American Christianity, right? Jesus died for my sins. Jesus went to the cross for me. I know the plans he has for me, we say. First, first, although there is a place for the individual in theology, um, American culture has distorted the Bible to be solely about individual redemption. So it is blind to the reality that when scripture says, I know the plans that I have for you, that you is plural and is addressed to an entire community that has been displaced and is in exile, right? American Christianity has reduced scripture to individual interactions between God and a person, even when those interactions are actually between God and a community or God and a group of people. Secondly, American Christianity suffers from a bad case of princess theology, which sounds weird, but here's what that is. Each each individual reads scriptures And they see themselves as the princess, the Disney princess in every story, right? American Christians read these stories. And when they read it, they're Esther. They're never Xerxes or Haman in that story, 
right? They're Peter, but they're never Judas, right? They're the woman anointing Jesus, never the Pharisees, right? Americans read these stories and we find ourselves um, identifying as the Jews escaping slavery, never as the Egyptians. Listen, for citizens of the most powerful nation in the world who enslaved both indigenous and black people to see itself as Israel and not Egypt in that story is a perfect example of Disney princess theology that we have in American Christianity. And it means that we are programmed to put ourselves first. Right? And as people in power, we really have no lens for locating ourselves rightly in scripture and in society. We have been grown, we have grown and been taught that it is all about us. Right? Which has caused us to be blind and utterly ill-equipped to engage the issues of others, to engage issues of power and of injustice. But listen, church, I I want us to rise above that. I want us to be better than that because Jesus came as a sacrifice of self, right? And he did it on behalf of others. So you want to be a true Christ follower? You want to be a real Christian? Live your life as a sacrifice of self on behalf of others. And if you do, it will not take very long for you to realize just how selfish your anger is. And if you can view your anger through that lens, it will give you the permission to let it go. And I know I got a little worked up and heavy on it this morning, but listen, Like I said at the beginning, I am speaking directly to myself. Will it be easy? No. Will it be quick? Again, no. But it is possible to let go of your anger. And a major way to do that is to recognize how selfish most of our anger is actually is. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I am so convicted by my own words this morning. God, that we as Christians in the American church are so self-centered. And when we deal with issues of anger, it is selfish anger. God, I pray that for those of us who deal with this issue of carrying anger, Father, that you begin to point out to us, allow us to see our anger through this lens, through this paradigm of just how selfish our anger really is. And Lord, give us the strength to begin to let go of that. And God, I pray that you bring into our line of vision things that we actually should be angry about and should be doing things about. 
Because as, as was modeled in the person of Christ, there is a place for righteous anger and for action to be taken upon that anger. Lord, I pray that our anger goes from being destructive, selfish anger to productive anger on behalf of others. And Lord, when we get this wrong, I thank you for the mercy that you show to us. God, I pray that you move on our hearts this week and bring these issues in our life to our attention. We thank you for all that you've done for us. In your name, amen. amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. I look forward to being back together next week as we continue on in our Sunday school series.